Joseph. Fear not, for that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Mary. And you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. And who? Mary, God showed me. An angel came to me in my dream. Believe me. I believe you. Your child will need a father. I will declare him as my own. People, they will not look at you the same. They will not look at us the same. You are my wife. I am your husband. That is all anyone need know. series entitled announcing and it's the third part of our Christmas series next week we'll do to, uh, part four before we do thanks Dave for the offertory appreciate that and uh, Paul and Joy they've already gone back to Adventure Kids but appreciated that song uh, as well now today it's not uncommon for us to receive cards or letters or emails about the birth of a baby, the coming birth of a baby. And on those announcements today, many times um, you have an ultrasound picture. And perhaps you even had a, a reveal party where the gender of the baby is announced. Centuries before, there were ultrasounds and baby announcements that way. Um, the angels announced the birth of a special child, a unique child, a child who entered this world in an unusual way, born a virgin. Now last week we looked at this announcement as it referred to Mary and looked at it from her perspective. This week, we're looking at this announcement from the perspective of Joseph, Jesus' legal father. Um, now, we follow Joseph's story through the pen of an apostle by the name of Matthew. He was one of the early followers of Jesus. And here's what we know about Matthew. You and I wouldn't choose him to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, it just wasn't... Matthew had a reputation. It was a bad one. Nobody liked Matthew. He was a tax collector. Now, just so that you understand, in, in Israel, there were sinners, and then there were the worst of the worst. They had a category of their own. 
They were tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was one day sitting at his table doing business, robbing people of their hard-earned money, because that's what tax collectors did back then. And he sold out uh, you know, his own country for this. He was sitting there at the table. Jesus comes by, and this is very interesting. I don't know if you've ever stopped to consider this. Jesus doesn't stop at the table, look at Matthew, and say, hey, Matthew, tell me what you believe about me. He doesn't say, Matthew, are you a good Jewish boy? No. He stops and he says, Matthew, he says, follow me. Oh, and by the way, while you're following me, then you can decide what you believe about me. We get this backwards today. We want people, you know, to have all the ins and outs before they start to follow sometimes. We wouldn't have picked Matthew as a follower, and we certainly wouldn't have picked him as a guy to chronicle the life of Jesus. And after Jesus calls Matthew... Matthew does what Matthew did. He decides to throw a party. And all kinds of disreputable people are at this party. And guess who's there with them? Jesus. And Jesus is criticized for being at the party. Now, let me stop here for a minute and just this for the what it's worth department. You know, one of the things that happens every time. Uh, this year is you get people who are always saying Christians shouldn't worship Christmas. They shouldn't have Christmas because, you know, there are all these arguments about why we shouldn't be celebrating Christmas. But here's what I know. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this, ever looked at this. Every time we see Jesus in the New Testament and there's a party, he's there. Every time. He was always looking for reason to celebrate. If you look in the Old Testament and you have God, you know, developing the rules for Israel, it is full of celebrations. We shouldn't be looking for reasons to get out of celebrating. We should be looking for more reasons to celebrate. You know, so celebrate Christmas. Have a good time, enjoy it. Stop worrying about all of this stuff. You know, it's too commercial. It's not this and it's not that. No. Come on, celebrate, celebrate. Now, again, Matthew, like so many of Jesus' followers down through history, you know, it's not somebody that we would have thought about. And we certainly wouldn't have picked him again to write about Jesus. And Matthew's account is early in History. As a matter of fact, you need to know this. Matthew was written between 60 and 65 A.D. That's when Matthew is written. And Matthew's purpose is to present Jesus as the king of the Jews. Now, you know, people all the time, they wonder, well, why are there different things in the eyewitnesses' account between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It's because they were emphasizing different things. G Matthew presents Jesus as king. Mark presents Jesus as servant. Um, Luke presents Jesus as son of man, speaking of not only his humanity, but also the fact that he's Messiah for the Jewish people. That was the title from Daniel, son of man. And then John presents him as the Son of God, and that's why there are differences in the gospel accounts. Now, 
Matthew's purpose, again in his writing, is to present Jesus as king. So he starts his book with a genealogy through the legal line of Joseph so that the people will understand he can rule on the throne of David. Now, the reason I want to point this out is because that word genealogy that is used in verse 1, this is the genealogy of Joseph, that word is also used at the beginning of our text today when he says this, this is how the birth, that's the word genealogy, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's no accident that Matthew dedicates the first 17 verses to Jesus' royal genealogy, the legal bloodline through Joseph to David's throne. In verse 18, he uses that same word genealogy to present the divine genealogy of Jesus, son of God. One commentator says that he uses this particular word um, to establish Jesus' origin from his heavenly father. But the bottom line here now is now we have four witnesses, four witnesses, who speak about the virgin birth. You have Isaiah, who spoke about it 700 years before it happened. Then you had, last week we looked at Dr. Luke. Now Dr. Luke is a physician. If anybody knows where babies come from, it's a physician. And Dr. Luke says, virgin birth. Then we saw Mary last week. Mary knew her own condition. She knew she was pure. She knew she was a virgin. How can this be? I am a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? And now Matthew reports, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Virgin birth. Then he continues, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her Quietly. Now, most of your translation says because Joseph was a righteous man. And that word righteous man actually comes uh, from this thing. He's righteous man because he was faithful to the law. So this is a good translation. Joseph was a religious man who wanted to do this right. So let me pause here for just a minute. And point out that those who question the accounts of Matthew and Luke when it comes to the birth narrative generally want to late date these passages. They want to late date these books, claiming that they were not really written by Matthew or Luke, but by, were written much later in history by some other human author who was posing as Matthew and Luke, which is just ridiculous because if you were writing later in history to turn Jesus into a legend... You don't choose a guy by the name of Luke because he wasn't even one of Jesus' earliest followers. He was a Gentile physician. You would have chosen Peter or you would have chosen Matthias or, or you know, Thudius or somebody else 
that was in that 12, but you wouldn't have chosen Luke. So we talked on this last week. We're not going to dwell on it any further. If you want to review that and see what we said about it, you can go to our website, www.gatewaycommunity.org, and you can listen to last week's message, or you can watch it on our Facebook page. But the evidence of history for these men writing when they wrote, when they claim to wrote, is solid. If you reject the authenticity of the books, you only do so because you have your own story that, that you want to do. And if you reject the authenticity of the books, basically you have to reject all of history because you can't believe anything. You know, I find it interesting that those who reject the writings of Scripture always want to insert their own opinion as to how these events actually happen. You know, we have a, a program called the Jesus Project. I don't know if you've heard of the Jesus Project. It comes out of Emory um, University, their theology program down in, in Candler. And the Jesus Project, they're trying to decide what Jesus really said and what he didn't say. So they're going through the New Testament and they're trying to redact the stuff that Jesus didn't really say. One of the things that the Jesus Project, this scholarly group of people, have decided is that the only thing that Jesus really said in the Lord's Prayer, the only thing Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, was our Father. Everything else is made up. That's what they say. Now, you know how they've determined that? They have a bag that they pass around. And they reach into this bag, and if they pull out a black ball, Jesus didn't say it. If they pull out a white ball, Jesus said it. That's real scholarship, isn't it? It's exactly what they're doing. So, when these skeptics can't deny the dates... When, it, when it's just, you know, it's solid, we've got it, we can't deny it. When they can't deny the dates, they turn to the argument that Matthew and Luke and other writers were sincerely believed that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, but they were uneducated men held captive by the superstitions of their day. Now, if that's true... Matthew would have not written the next verse that we're about to look at. Because like everyone else, Joseph knew two th three things. Joseph knew how babies were made. Joseph knew that baby wasn't his. And Mary was pregnant. So he knew those three things. And I'm going to tell you, that doesn't sound to me like someone who's superstitious. If he was uneducated and prone to superstition, he wouldn't have even questioned Mary's pregnancy, let alone plan to break their engagement. Because Joseph's husband was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her Quietly, if you are making up this story, you don't write stuff like this. Actually, you don't write verses 19 to 21. Because you don't have Joseph questioning any of this. He just simply accepts it because he's superstitious, right? He doesn't know any better. Come on. Furthermore, if you're making it up, you don't give the birth announcement in one sentence. Because men don't do that, do we? <laughs> if you're making this up, you elaborate 
on the information. You don't drop one line and then move on. Simply not characteristic of human nature to do this, to describe, try to describe something so absolutely momentous and marvelous and do it in such a brief manner. Our inclination is to expand, to elaborate, try to give as much detail as possible. And while Matthew is going to give us a little bit more detail about the virgin birth, the fact of it is given in one sentence. And if you're making it up, you don't do it that way. Matthew devotes 17 verses to our, in our modern Bible to Jesus' human genealogy through his legal father, Joseph. He devotes one verse to his divine genealogy. He states authoritatively that this is a miraculous, never-repeated act of the Holy Spirit. If it were a human fabrication, again, it would contain a whole lot more information trying to convince you of the fact. And it doesn't. Its authority lies in its simplicity. He doesn't try to prove the virgin birth. He just assumes the virgin birth. So here's what we know so far. Mary's pregnant. Baby's not Joseph's. Joseph is conflicted. He doesn't know what to do now. And, and his plan is really simple. I'm out of here. This wedding is off. I'm not showing up at the church on time. <laughs> not me. He's going to end the engagement. Actually, it's much stronger than an engagement would be because they were pledged to be married. And in that day, you know, this isn't love at first sight. This is mama and daddy got together with Mary's mama and daddy, and they decided, hey, these two would be great together. They're getting married. Oh, and by the way, Mary's mom and daddy are going to give up a, a, a uh, dowry to Joseph's family. So there's a contract now. And if you break this, this is a big deal. You are, you are shaming both families. This is an arranged marriage. This is something that is described on the parental level, and it obligated Mary and Joseph ultimately to become husband and wife. And if Joseph broke the engagement based on the fact that Mary is pregnant, this meant death for Mary, because Joseph was a righteous man. Saw it in the video. Joseph was a righteous man. He kept the law. And the law said, you cheat, you die. That would probably solve a lot of affairs today. You cheat, you die. And here's how you die. You're going to be stoned to death. We're not going to make it easy. Painful death. As a matter of fact, the New American Standard Version says this, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, Plan to send her away secretly. Now, 
We don't know a whole lot about Joseph. You know that he's a carpenter by trade because in Matthew 13, 55, when they're questioning Jesus' authority to teach, they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Yeah, isn't this a carpenter's son? So he's a, he's a blue-collar worker. He's in the building industry, the construction industry. We also know that he was a devout Jew, a, one who was faithful to the law. And you know, he's a man, he is hurt by all of this. But here's the interesting thing. As hurt as he is, he is more concerned about Mary than he is about himself. He's trying to find a way to send her away secretly, to do this quietly, to end this relationship quietly, because then, at least until she starts to show, she gets to live. But once she starts to show, doesn't matter what he says, the rest of the people of that village are going to stone Mary to death. So his plan is, I need to protect her, and I need to do this quickly, and I need to do it quietly. As a matter of fact, if he's sending her away, it's probably like, you know, Mary, I'm sending you someplace where nobody knows. Go live with some relatives. You can't stay here. Because when people find out that you're pregnant, and we're not together, you're dead. His plans are made. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And in this one simple verse, Matthew emphasizes the supernatural character of the virgin birth. And again, we talked about this last week. You say, I don't understand it. It's a miracle. I don't understand it. But here's the thing that you need to understand. If you can understand a miracle, it's not a miracle. If you can explain how it happened, it's not a miracle. The essence of a miracle is that something that suspends natural law and occurs supernaturally. So you may have a hard time wrapping your mind around it. Stop and consider the evidence for it. Those words are written by Matthew in a time when his critics could have easily discredited it. Because let me get here's what really happened. And yet we don't have one writing from the day that questions the virgin both. Not one. Not one. Six hundred years later, a guy by the name of Muhammad comes on the scene, and he tries to change everything around. But you know what he does? He doesn't question the virgin birth. Never questions it. The question of the virgin birth doesn't happen until the 17th century. You need to consider that. No evidence of any refutation against it. Furthermore, and this is the important thing, if you look at the life of Jesus, does it support something that's more than normal? Here's a man that said, if you can prove one sin in me, that's just one. And they can't. The angel calls him the son of David. Again, emphasizing that Jesus, 
Though not Joseph's biological son was his legal son, his heavenly father is actually uh, his father. God is his father. He's conceived in him by the creative act of the Holy Spirit. But his right to the throne comes partially through the dad, Joseph's legal uh, over the son, because Joseph is of the line of David. Matthew traces Joseph's line through David. Luke, by the way, traces Jesus' genealogy through Mary. They're two different genealogies. Both of them go back to David. This is important. You know why this is important? Because in Matthew, in that genealogy, in Matthew 1, 11, Matthew gives us the name of an ancestor by the name of Jeconiah. Now, most of you are saying, I've never heard of him. Who's Jeconiah? Jeconiah was one of David's grandchildren who Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 22, 28 through 30, and this is what verse 30 says, so I want you to see this. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless. In other words, his kids amount to nothing. This guy is so evil, I, 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 he's done. He's done. Report this man, record this man as if childless. And we just lost the, uh, the video. I was afraid of that. So let me get my, my notes. A man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. What slide number are we on? What's that? 17? Thank you. That helps me get to where I, I need to be in my notes here. So, if Joseph was Jesus' biological father, Jesus doesn't get to reign on the throne of David. None of his sons will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. This eliminates that possibility. Matthew goes on to say, she will give birth to the son, and a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, in order for Jesus to be able to save people, I don't need this anymore. In order for Jesus, uh, Jesus to be able to save his people from his sins, he had to be sinless. More importantly, in order for Jesus to save his people from their sins, to forgive sins, he had to be God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, um, Jesus told people that their sins were forgiven. This only makes sense if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded by every sin. See, if you do something against Dave over here, and you want forgiveness. You don't come to me. You have to go to the one you wronged. 
The reason that Jesus can forgive sin is because he's the one we wronged. We've broken his laws. His love is wounded by every sin. Now, some of you might be sitting here saying, you know, I'm, Pastor, you, you just need to, you, you need to get off of this. I've had people tell me this before. You know, don't, don't talk about sin. That's just negative. And you're saying, you know, I'm really not that bad. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So am I. So am I. But think of it this way. Let's suppose I were to invite you over to my house for brunch. And uh, I called Myra and said, guess what? I've invited the group over. There's some people coming for, for brunch. And she says, you know, I'm not doing well. You know I'm not doing well. I'm not even in church. I'm not here. So you're going to have to cook lunch. Now, if you knew that, you wouldn't want to come. Okay? But let's pretend that you don't know that. You're, gonna about, you're about to find out. So I say to Myra, I said, well, what should I cook? Well, she said, it's brunch. She said, why don't you make an omelet? Sound good to me. I'll make an omelet. How do I make an omelet? She says, well, you need milk and cheese and onions and green peppers or red peppers. We'll use red peppers for, we'll use green and red to make it Christmassy. And uh, then you're going to need, because I've told her how many people are coming. She says, you're going to need five eggs, at least five eggs. So I go to the refrigerator, and I gather all the stuff up, and I put the milk, and I put the cheese, and I put all the stuff in a bowl, and then I go back, and I grab the carton of eggs, and I pull out the carton of eggs, and there are only four eggs. Now, I'm a literalist, so she said, I need five eggs. So I go back to the refrigerator, and I start looking around, and I come to the refrigerator, and, and at the back of the refrigerator, there's one egg that's sitting there behind everything. And I pull that puppy out, and there's a little hairline crack in it, but I don't think anything about it until I crack that egg. And the smell almost knocks me out. But I say, hey, it's only one egg. <laughs> Could I serve that to you? No. Now, let's suppose this. Let's suppose that I crack the egg. And I realize it's bad, but before I get it away from the bowl, some of that egg drips into the batter. Can I serve that to you? No. One bad egg destroys the whole mix. And guess what? You can't unscramble eggs. Now, here's how that applies. It only takes one sin to make your life unservable to a holy God. That's it. One sin. And it's unservable. And here's the thing. You can't do anything about that because you can't unscramble legs. But God can. God can. And that's the essence of the Christmas story. It's not a baby in a manger. It's not shepherds in a field. It's not Mary and Joseph with no room in the end. It's not wise men coming from distant lands. Somebody said, sent me a note the other day and they said, you know, do you know what it would have been if it had been wise women from distant lands? 
And of course, the answer to that, if it had been wise women, they would have gotten there on time and they would have brought practical gifts. <laughs> but it wasn't, it was wise men. They got there a couple of years later. And uh, there, there you have it. But it's not about all of that. That is not the essence of the Christmas story. The essence of the Christmas story is our Savior came into a fallen world to rescue us. And to drive home that message, the angel continues, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. Remember that guy 700 years before the things? All of this took place to fulfill what was By the way, did you know this is only one prophecy, only one of 300 over 300 Old Testament prophecies that were all fulfilled in the life of Jesus. It's an amazing thing when you think right about this. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is ultimately the reason, the message of the Christmas story. God with us. God with us for us, not against us, God for us, God loving us and doing what we cannot do for ourselves, unscrambling the eggs, saving us from ourselves, saving us from our sins. If you don't know him personally, why not say yes to him right now? He's the only Savior there is. Peter, one of Jesus' other followers, said this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, given to mankind, by which we must be saved. You can't save you. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps and save yourself. Muhammad can't save you. Buddha can't save you. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism or Mormon teachings, can't save you. Charles Taze Russell or the Watchtower can't save you. It doesn't matter how many doors you knock on, not going to save you. News for you, you modern society. Oprah can't save you, despite what she's claiming lately. No pastor can save you. No priest can save you. No spiritual leader anywhere, no matter how great they are, can save you. Only Jesus can save you. He was born for this very purpose. And if you miss that, you miss the whole point of the Christmas story. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth. To a son and gave him the name Jesus. Have you ever stopped to consider that throughout Scripture, from cover to cover, 
Whenever you find God's people, they're doing what Joseph did, which simply means this. They get up and do what God commands them to do. No ifs, ands, buts, or stipulations. So what about you? What is it that God is speaking to you about? And you keep putting it off. You keep waiting till you have the perfect answer, the perfect solution, because you haven't quite figured that out right. You keep thinking, you know, Pastor, I can't do that because, you know, what I'm doing is, is I've got this grudge that I've held forever. And if I forgive that person, they're going to think that I'm letting them off the hook. Have you ever stopped to think what it would have been like if Jesus said that about you? I'm not going to forgive them of their sins. I, they'll think I'm letting them off the hook. Think about this. When God asked Mary last week if in spite of her fear she was willing to trust him and do become the vessel for our Savior she said yes yes this week the angel says to Joseph stop being afraid go ahead and take Mary as your wife and what does he do he does where is God telling you, stop being afraid, stop resisting me, stop holding out, and start holding on to me, because I'm not going to let you down. Step out in faith. I think if you do, you'll be glad that you did. And one final thought here this morning. Joseph and Mary, we talked about them last week a little bit, but let me remind you, they are poor, unknown people from a small, insignificant town on the wrong side of the tracks of Judea. They are not people we should know anything about today. 21 centuries later, and we're still talking about them. So the question is, why? And you know why? Because they said yes to God. They said yes to God. And if you're a believer, you're here because of that yes. And if you've tuned in and you're watching us on Facebook and you're not even sure what you believe, but you look at it every Christmas, maybe you're here and feeling that same way. You're here because they said yes. Their yes produced the reason that we celebrate the season. So, if you think you are too insignificant to do anything meaningful for God, think again. Think again. Two insignificant people by all worldly standards were the instrument God chose to give us the hope of a Savior. You never know what impact your yes to God will have on your family, 
on your own life, on this world. I mean, think about this. You know, we forget this. The people in the Bible are just like us. They're not super people. They're not super saints. They were real people facing real problems. And they never knew, perhaps in their life. Isaiah is a good example of this. I like Isaiah because Isaiah was a preacher. And obviously I'm going to like Isaiah because I'm a preacher. God calls Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, he said, I want you to be my spokesman. And Isaiah said, great. He said, wait a minute, Isaiah. He said, you need to understand what I'm asking you to do. Because you're not going to be a very good spokesman. See, we don't think that. We think, oh, man, Isaiah is a great man of God. No, 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 no. In his day, nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. Nobody liked what he had to say. When he preached, they threw stuff at him. And then he was running for his life. You know, if Isaiah were alive today and he went to one of our preacher meetings, we'd be waiting for him. And this meeting would go something like this. Brother Isaiah, how'd it go this week? And Isaiah said, well, same as every week. Well, Brother Isaiah, what does that mean? It means nobody showed up at church. <laughs> I mean, sorry, Brother Isaiah. Um, Brother Isaiah, what did you do? Well, I did what I did do every week. I went out on the corner and started to preach. And Brother Isaiah, how was that received? Well, people didn't like it. Pretty soon I was running for my life. They were throwing stuff at me. And that's exactly what happened to Isaiah. Matter of fact, history tells us that Isaiah was running for his life from Manasseh. He hid in a log. His men saw him go in that log, that hollowed out log, and they came and they plugged up both ends of that log and then they cut him in two with a saw. You know, when I, there were talks about in uh, Hebrews 11 about they were sawn in two, it's probably Isaiah. In Isaiah's day, people wouldn't have recognized him as the great prophet. But you know why we recognize him as a great prophet? Because we're looking back on his yes. And you may think there's nothing you can do, but you don't know what your yes to God can produce. So, why not say yes to him? You know what makes a great hero of faith? What makes a great hero of faith is a person who doesn't know what God is going to do, but they know that the proper answer to whatever God asks is always yes. Always yes. So in a minute, Joey's going to come and he's going to lead us in our invitation. And what is it in your life that you need to deal with? And you know it. You've been dealing with it. Somebody that you need to forgive and you refuse to do it because you're afraid, you know, if I do that, they're going to think that everything was fine. So you're tying yourself up because you won't forgive. Or maybe it's a step of faith in some other area. You might need to change jobs. Or a relationship that needs to start or end. And you're afraid because you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. God does. And you're yes. You don't know the impact it will have.
and only eternity may tell. You may not see it in your life. Mary lived the rest of her life as that young woman who got pregnant out of wedlock. That's what everybody else was saying. But we're here because of that, yes. So let me pray for us. And if God has spoken to you and you'd like to respond, if you come to this side, you can come and pray between you and God. Go back to your seat. No one will bother you. If you want someone to come and pray with you, come to the uh, right side over here, my right side, your left, and someone who's trained as an encourager will come and join you. So let me pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to show we wanted them. We wanted to do the right thing. He came and gave. And like Matthew, he comes to the table and he doesn't say, what do you believe about me? What don't you believe? Do you believe all of this? Do you believe all of that? He just says, follow me. And then you'll come to believe because you follow. So give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. Give us the courage to step out in faith and say yes to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.